You're listening to Food Integrity Now with Carol Gravet, Matt Spaeth, and Jeannie Smith, revealing the truth about the food we eat. Hello and welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gravet. I'm one of the hosts of the show and I'm here today with the newest member to our team, Jeannie Smith. We're excited to have her. She's going to be taking the lead on the show today. And today we're going to be talking with Scott and Mary Smith. Scott and Mary are involved in an organization called GMNO, that's G-M-K-N-O-W, and we're going to be talking about the very important issue that's pending in Boulder County regarding its use of 25,000 acres of open space. Scott and Mary, welcome to the show. Thank welcome, you. Jeannie. Thank you. Yes, can you tell us a little bit about GMNO and the issue that's, that you're working with? Mary, why don't you do the uh, intro, please? <laughs> Very good. So GMNO is a group that Scott and I started um, actually last year in 2010 uh, out of our concern for the ignorance around genetically modified organisms in our food supply. Uh, what we found in talking to people is that there was a high level of ignorance among most consumers that GMOs were actually in the food that we eat and had been since the mid-1990s. And so we decided that we were going to go ahead and start an education group. And we reached out to our fellow citizens, and uh, before we knew it, we had about 30 people, um, all with the same focus, and that's to reach out to their fellow citizens here in Boulder County to educate them about GMOs. Um, along the way, and it was early this year, we found out that our county open space lands, we have 100,000 acres, uh, 25,000 of which are agricultural, uh, and the agricultural acres were actually being planted with GMOs, BT corn. Back in 2003, our county commissioners had written a policy that allowed the farmers that leased that land to use BT corn in their rotation. And uh, we also found out that, there were, that the policy was actually up for review and that there was a policy writing process going on. So we dove in, got involved, and through the process um, of actually observing this uh, policy writing. What we uh, came to understand is that though they said that it was a public um, process, there was actually no room in it for anybody in the public. Uh, we had contributed over a thousand, actually thousands of pages of um, peer-reviewed studies, um, evidentiary information, public comment, uh, etc. Uh, and not a word of it was included in the final policy that came out about a month and a half ago. So a group of the citizens involved with our group, GM Now, decided that we were going to go ahead and write our own policy. And that's what we've done. It's called the Citizens Cropland Policy. And what it is, is it's a, it's a, a treaty really on how we want to see those 25,000 acres of our public land, the agricultural lands, managed. And, uh, of course, we are asking for a prohibition of GMOs. Wonderful. So uh, where is this issue now? What's, what's happening currently? Well, we've got right now, um, we're, we're kind of focused on a, a big meeting, which is December 8th. Our county commissioners are holding a public forum to discuss this issue with the citizenry. Um, the way that it's, it's set up is that the Parks and Open Space, who wrote this, uh, this cropland policy, um, without the public input, basically. They're going to be presenting it to our county commissioners on December 8th, and then there is an opportunity for the voices of the citizenry to be heard. We each have three minutes. And um, so what we're focused on right now is getting as many people that live in this county to show up at that meeting with prepared statements. 
Um, over the last, you know, 10 months or so, what we've done is we've had a petition out there that basically says we want a policy that bans GMOs. And we've gotten over 5,000 endorsers uh, signatures on that petition. Currently, right now, we've got the citizens' cropland policy online and are asking citizens and organizations to endorse that. And so our focus is really to see how many endorsements we can get for the citizens' policy prior to that meeting on the 8th. Our objective is to get our county commissioners to, to commit to adopting the language in our citizens' cropland policy. Um, that's, this land has been purchased through tax dollars by the citizenry. It really does belong to the citizens of this community, and we feel that we should be able to determine how it's used. Wonderful. So, so how many hearings has there been so far? I mean, how has it progressed to where it is now? And also, how receptive have the commissioners been to a group uh, such as yours providing this kind of input? Yeah, well, uh, let me uh, dive in here, please. The uh, it was a, a nine-month process, and it, there were biweekly meetings, and we, you know, Mary and I, and, and our group members attended every one. Uh, so again, every other week. Um, at 5.30 and it would go several hours at the very least. So this was a, a long, arduous process and we were there the whole way. So as Mary said, that uh, we were writing comments, providing information both to the cropland uh, members as well as to the commissioners or our county commissioners. So it was a, there was a continual effort on our behalf to provide information to, uh, to weigh in. And then, lo and behold, after the final meetings, they had uh, they scheduled a succession of three meetings back to back to back. So there was a joint meeting where the uh, uh, cropland uh, policy advisory group, the uh, parks and open space advisory committee, jointly sat in, and and there was an opportunity for the public to weigh in. So we we had organized group, you know, a couple of dozen of uh, citizens to get up and read portions of our policy into the record. So presenting that to the entire audience. And I think that was quite effective because it, it uh, the following night at the, at the next meeting, uh, some of that language was actually written in and considered in the policy. And then the following night thereafter, um, some additional language that we had put forth was incorporated. But mind you, these were three meetings back to back to back. We spent um, about 18 hours. And again, this, these started at 5.30 in the evening. There was 18 hours worth of uh, time and effort invested in, in going through these hearings. We, we, it's certainly my opinion that, that the process was stacked this way to really squeeze out or you know for only the the true diehards in among the citizenry to participate and watch what was going on we did we were quite pleased to hear some of this uh, some of our uh, recommendations adopted but it's it's just you know another step in the right direction uh, in terms of where the uh, the commissioners fall in in this whole matter uh, we, we have presented to them is, as far as the open citizen forums that they have every uh, the first of uh, every month. There's a half hour allotted to to speak before them. We've done that. Uh, it's certainly it's a one way dialogue. We we read our statements. We give our impassioned um, uh, speeches. 
but the, the feedback is kind of well this is a complex ish, issue you know there's a lot of you know a lot of heritage involved here uh, it, it's really difficult to tell for me I like to I think this is a perfect characterization since uh, since the Occupy movement seems to be getting so much media attention this is a perfect illustration of that fact where we have three commissioners weighing on public policy that literally is touching on the majority of Boulder County citizens and by the last census account there's almost 295,000 citizens in Boulder County. The parks and open space cropland represents 27 percent of all the open space land. That's 25,000 acres of open space land that's closed to the public for the benefit and use of only 70 people. It's, it's a less than 1% issue. So we have, there's a lot at stake here. And so I don't, I don't know if, if, if this, the gravity of this has set into their consciousness or not, but the idea of fully 27% of our property being stewarded for a handful of people's benefits at the expense of everybody else's, to me, it just doesn't seem fair. And again, I don't know if fairness weighs into a policy decision or not, but certainly I, I think it's worth noting. Well, but your information is, is quite eye-opening with that much acreage available and so few people currently benefiting from it. There is the position that, you know, you would assume that the commissioners would be very open to now making this something that would benefit much more, many more people. Um, have you found that to be the case, or are you finding them leaning more towards uh, sticking with the established procedures? Well, I can, I can respond to that one. Um, if, if you had witnessed any part of this process, what you would come away with is that there was an incredible resistance to change. And I think that that's human nature. I think that you know, what we've got is we've got these farmers that are leasing these acres and they have done farming a very specific way over the last probably their entire careers. The majority of them are, you know, in their later years and approaching retirement probably in 10 or 15 years and they've always utilized chemical agricultural processes. Um, GMOs, you know, obviously have been designed to um, be part of a turnkey agricultural system where there's chemical inputs and where they themselves, such as um, BT corn, produce an insecticide in every cell of the plant. So they've become quite dependent on the technology, on GMO technology, um, for their farming methodologies. And what we're proposing is that that has to change. And I think that there's a real resistance, not just among the farmers, but among, amongst the, um, the county itself, because there's a relationship that's been established between these farmers and the county, um, actually Parks and Open Space staff, over these last several years. So, you know, we as a citizenry have kind of um, reared our ugly heads in their view of the world and are demanding something that they don't know the first thing about how to accomplish. Uh, the unfortunate truth is that we have a remarkable, remarkable citizenry here in Boulder County. Uh, we have so many bright, intelligent, experienced, and educated people. And uh, we know this for our own um, truth because we called on these people to assist us in writing the citizens' cropland policy. And the document itself, the feedback that we got from members of those two advisory committees, Scott talked about those back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings. Uh -huh. The two advisory committee meetings 
that we presented two. One was Parks and Open Space Advisory Committee. The other was the Food and Agricultural Policy Council. And they um, are to advise the commissioners on this policy. Well, originally all they had was the Parks and Open Space policy, basically the business as usual policy. And when we provided them with this other language, with this other perspective, the feedback that we got from them was one of gratitude. You know, they said, you know, having one choice is no choice at all. And we really appreciate the fact that you people put your time and effort into, into putting together this alternative and give us some language to work with. And so in those, in those two separate meetings, when they had to consider and then recommend a policy, what they did during the six hours that they deliberated, each of these two groups, they actually looked at the language that we had provided and adopted some of it. Instead of just taking it point, you know, taking the parks and open space policy that had been presented and adopting it in full. Yeah, so our hope is, yeah, our hope is that the when it comes to the commissioners meeting on the eighth, they will recognize this alternative as not only viable but preferential. Okay. And as I say, we we also documented things very very thoroughly. You know, all of our information was presented. We we created a website, um, which is www.bccp.info. And all of the information is there so that for even a, 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 just a regular citizen, you could go there, you could click on it, all the information is linked together. And it was, I think, just a, a very easy way where you could compare side by side what, uh, what each group or what each policy was calling for. And there was, I think this, this was a brilliant um, move or, you know, it was an opportunity that presented itself, but it gave the, the council and the committee members an opportunity to see side by side what each one was offering and where they differed. And I think that was key. And then unfortunately, we've also had some people look at look at that information and and see risk in it or have seen some things that aren't really there. So it's interesting because we're, we're trying to make this a public process and have a community uh, conversation. Um, in fact, there, do you think I should mention, Mary, who the, the, the one group that we're trying to uh, inform? <laughs> well, well, we'll do that on Saturday. We'll yeah, be, we'll so it's, it's, a, it's a local constituency here, which is quite popular in Colorado, and uh, they saw what uh, we're, we're posing is a, a threat to their, uh, to, to their enjoyment of uh, public and open space lands, which, uh, again, I think it's a, it's a total misunderstanding, but what, I'm, what I've done is extended the... the uh, and offers like you have issues with our policy. You've had issues with the language. We will talk to you about it. You know we're not ruling anything out. Unlike, you know, the county who really was was not receptive to hearing our uh, voices at all. So, by from a citizen and democracy perspective, you know we're we're trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. And there's always challenges in doing that. And there's always challenges in changing the established procedures. Um, that that's that's been shown throughout history. So you know what you're you well know what you're up against. But tell yes. me, tell me how would you like to see those twenty five thousand acres used? Uh, I'll there. speak to that. Yep. Um, so we've got a vision, and our vision uh, is that we, as a community, Boulder County, and all three hundred citizens, each and every citizen is three hundred thousand. 
300,000, sorry, 300,000 citizens, um, each and every citizen is able to benefit from those lands. And in order for every citizen to benefit from those lands, we need to utilize those lands to produce food. Right now, the majority of the farmers are actually using those lands to plant commodity crops, and those crops are leaving our community and we're never seeing them. So um, we want to change that around, and we want to actually be able to create a local food system here in the county that can service the citizens of this community. The other thing that we want to see happen is we want to actually um, set an example for how you can use sustainable, regenerative, and clean agricultural practices in which to produce food. So a lot of the language in the policy has to do with um, different types, different methodologies of agriculture rather than just being chemical agriculture. What we're proposing is that we use things like um, biodynamic, um, permaculture, uh, organic standards, that type of thing. So a move away from chemical use and a move toward some of uh, these other techniques that actually help regenerate the soils that have been so depleted from, you know, these decades of chemical agriculture. Yeah, so we've definitely. got this long-term vision for those lands that, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we not only have those lands available, but those lands are actually in better condition and are being utilized for their highest and best use for each and every citizen within this within this community. Yeah, and I, I would say too, a point of clarification is that we're, we're not advocating for like USDA organic certification because I think what people uh, hear the word organic is like, oh, you know, that there's a very specific meaning. The United States Department of Agriculture actually owns the, the trade name organic and there is a considerable and costly process uh, to become USDA certified organic. What we're advocating for here in Boulder is to use non-chemical practices, you know, that, that, that correlate to what you would have to do if it was an organic uh, type certification. But we're not, we're not advocating, nor are we trying to force organic down people's throats. I think it's, uh, it's a point worth mentioning that uh, we're, we're trying to do this in a healthy, regenerative, and, and certainly not overwrought fashion that's, that's typically uh, associated with those kind of uh, certifications. Well, I, I thank you both for that information. And before we go to a break, I would like to just clarify, Mary, you used the term commodity crop. For those yes. who are listening who may not be familiar with that, would you give us a brief explanation of that term? Very, very good. Well, a commodity is traded on the open market, and so um, many of the crops that we see grown in the United States now on very large acreages, so we're talking thousands of acres, a thousand or more acres, are things like corn and soy and wheat and alfalfa, um, those are commodity crops and they get, um, there's a pricing that is established by the marketplace. So it's not sold directly to someone that's going to utilize those things um, directly and immediately. Instead, they're sold off to consolidators like grain elevators and there's a going price. Unfortunately, when those, the way that those crops are handled is that they end up out in kind of this great big huge collective and then are utilized um, for a number of different things. Animal feed, they're fractionated for ingredients in foods. That's one of the problems with GMOs is that we've got corn, soy, cottonseed, canola, alfalfa, and sugar beets are the big ones. And each and every one of those, well, except for alfalfa, actually are utilized, fractionated um, in food processing. And, you know, canola oil, cottonseed oil, and then, of course, corn and soy derivatives and sugar, sugar beets for sugar. 95% uh, of uh, the sugar beets planted in the United States now are sugar 
um, GMO sugar beets. So we're seeing this show up in our food system through this commodity cropping. What we want to see happen instead is we want to see food crops that are sold directly to the marketplace rather than these commodity crops that end up outside of our county and, and do not benefit our county in any way, shape, or form. Thank you, Mary, for explaining that. And we're going to take a brief break right now uh, to recognize our sponsors. You're listening to Food Integrity Now, and we will be back in just a moment. This is Carol again, and I just wanted to talk to you about one of our new sponsors, Hole in the Wall Herb and Vitamin Shop up in Woodland Park. The owners, Mark and Nancy Duvall, are not only close personal friends, but they're also my nutritional gurus. They are now selling, teaching, and doing a Syrah bioenergetic testing on their clients. I had this done, and I found out all my food allergies, emotional stressors, environmental sensitivities, hormonal balance, and I received a customized homeopathic remedy. Please call them for more information at 1-800-437-3240. Linda Masterson, Sole Purpose Astrologer, works with astrological tools and with guides in the non-physical to assist ones in knowing their sole purpose. Important in this process is identification of significant blockages. In each session, tools are provided for working with self to clear resistance and free talents, skills, and abilities to fuller expression. The goal is to take responsibility for and to accelerate the healing process. Phone sessions are offered by Linda. Please visit Linda at lindamasterson.com or call 808-651-0307. Again, that's 808-651-0307. Welcome back to now, this is Jeannie Smith, your co-host, and we're talking today with Mary and Scott Smith from GM No of Boulder, and we're talking, um, we, where we left off, we were talking about the commodity crops that are currently being grown on the Boulder open space by a, a select group of farmers, uh, approximately 70 if I'm correct, and Mary, where we left off, um, these commodity crops, so the profit of these crops that are being grown by these farmers goes back to those farmers, correct? That is correct, yes. When they sell their crops to, let's say, the elevator or the consolidator, um, they're paid directly for those crops. Uh, unlike a local food system where when the farmer is actually paid for those um, you know, is, is, uh, sells those crops within a local system, like a local economy, that money is paid out to that farmer locally by local money, but then that money actually gets recirculated within the community through the, um, the sale of the product or the sale of a product that's made from that, that crop that they're, they're making. And let's use chicken eggs as an example. Um, you know, eggs are, can be sold directly to a, a market 
such as a grocery store, they can be sold directly to the end user customer. So there's no middleman per se. And what ends up happening is that rather than that money, a lot of that money ending up outside of the community, it all stays within the community. The other thing about commodity crop farming is that uh, all of these commodity crops, there have been systems developed around how they are grown and, and managed. And those systems, like the GMO system, have everything to do with machinery and chemicals. So commodity crop farming is usually done on very large scales, thousands of acres, and it's done with um, chemicals being applied and with machinery like, like tractors. When we're talking about food crop systems, food crop systems are very different. They typically happen on smaller acreages. What you see instead of monocropping, in other words, one just one crop per 1,000 acres, what you might see is three, four, five different crops um, on these smaller sections of land. And that inherently is healthier for not only the land, but for the ecosystem. Because one of the problems with, with monoculture cropping is that what you have is you have a, just one very um, expansive single entity where things like weeds and things like insects can come in and establish themselves. So when you're dealing with food crops, you're dealing with, with smaller acreages, you're dealing with multi-species, and because of that, you, you get a better handle on things like weed pressure and insect pressure um, because you can keep a better balance. Um, the other benefit is that more jobs are created. In monocropping and uh, chemo chemical agriculture, typically what we see is two jobs per thousand acres, whereas when we're talking about food cropping systems, we're typically looking at one job per ten acres. So as far as a local economy goes, you can create a lot more jobs and sustain a lot more um, livelihoods by doing local food growing rather than commodity crop farming. Well, that was a very good explanation, Mary. Um, and, and so in moving these 25,000 acres from commodity crops to a food crop system, um, I would imagine that the commissioners are going, who, who probably don't understand all that's involved may see that shifting to that new that that new paradigm that you're going that you're you're really talking about a major paradigm change for them. Um, I would imagine that they're going to be seeing a lot of expense and how are we going to organize this? Who is going to do the work? How much is this going to cost? So given the the budget cuts that all local governments are going through these days, um, how would you propose? to pay for the both the people, the machinery, getting those products to market. How would you see all of that working? Uh, that's a really interesting question and one that's, that's come up. Um, we ha we've actually had quite a number of people working on this over the last couple of years. Uh, the Food and Agricultural Policy Council, actually, which is one of the advisory groups that we were discussing, actually tackled this about two and a half years ago and began the work on creating the necessary infrastructure for a local food system. So it's been in the works for a while and there's also a couple of other organizations here in Boulder County that have begun to tackle this. One is Transition Colorado. Um, as far as the cost goes, what's really interesting about all this is that the money, um, there's two types of leases that the county grants for the farmers. One is just a straight cash lease and the other is a crop share lease. And the crop share lease basically provides the county with a percentage of whatever that farmer gets when they sell that crop. Well, the one thing that we do know for a fact is that food crops are much more profitable per acre than commodity crops are. 
And so when you're looking at potentially establishing, you know, um, a number of uh, acres for local food production, the outcome of that is going to be that you are going to see a higher level of income coming into the county parks and open space department with crop share. The second thing is, is because we're talking about the machinery, a lot of food cropping, um, and when we're talking about direct food cropping, it's done a lot with hand labor. And that's one of the reasons that you can create jobs. Um, instead of relying on equipment and, and large machinery, what you're relying on instead is human labor. So it, it's easy to look at it and recognize that although there are some costs for the human labor because the profitability is so much higher per acre, that it is a much more viable way of doing agriculture for um, economic benefit to the farmer, to the workers, and to the county. So in, in moving to the food crops, on one hand you have um, a higher, a greater income that you would get from the food crops rather than the commodity crops, and you would have the benefit of more jobs, but then in turn because it would require more labor, it would cost more, but you've got, you're making the more money per crop. So do you see this as balancing out? And yeah, I actually, yeah, the, the studies that we've done, um, and actually we've got a retired Purdue agroeconomist that's been working on these, on these scenarios, on these numbers. Wow. And, and yeah, and, and by the way, this isn't new. I mean, this has been done elsewhere. This has been done extensively in Canada. Um, Saskatchewan is actually um, moving towards a sustainable agricultural methodology for their entire, um, you know, what province I think it is. And, and uh, so they've done a lot of this work. And this work has been done elsewhere here in the United States. So this isn't new ground we're, we're, we're covering. This okay. is just trying to, trying to convert our existing farmers from their you know, the methodology that they're familiar with over to new methodology. So it's kind of like, you know, the old dog, new trick kind of thing. And we've had a lot of resistance. They don't want to change their ways. They're familiar with this. It's what they're comfortable with. And that's probably the biggest challenge. The economics of it is not as big a challenge as people think it is. It's, it's actually um, is going to be beneficial because so much more of that money stays within the county. It generates more tax dollars. Every community that has done this and, and actually developed local food systems and, and has gone towards you know, increasing the percentage of food that is produced locally and bought locally, what they've seen is an increase in, in the economic benefits that are substantial. So we're anticipating that. Well, I'm very impressed with the level of homework you've done by bringing in this economist by, and by having gone to your, to your website, which again is www.gmknow.org. Um, and, and the links that you have there to the policy, and then, like you said, all of the separate links of being able to cross-examine cross your proposed policy with the existing one, You've been extremely thorough, but I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and go back more to um, <clears throat> the impact to the existing lands with the existing um, commodity crops. They're GM if they're genetically modified, and say for example, the three commissioners agree to take your policy. Um, I'm going to I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but. Um, my concern is, is what type of contamination are you going to be dealing with 
based on the years of GM food production and any cross-contamination from any other fields. Have you looked into any exposure to that? Um, extensively. <laughs> We've actually done quite, yeah, quite a bit of research on that. Um, one document that we referred to, it's got some great, um, it actually has some wonderful references and studies that it refers to. It, it's called the Transition Document. It was written by Harry McCormick. And Harry McCormick was the gentleman um, over in Oregon that started Oregon Tilth. And Oregon Tilth was the first organic certifying agency in the United States 30 years ago. So um, Harry owns what's called Sunbow Farms, and he has done extensive research on what it takes to transition some of this soil from this kind of, and we, and we call it sterile, because one of the consequences of agrochemical farming is that the, the soil becomes sterile over time. Um, the chemicals are very, very damaging to the microbial life within the soil, and anyone that works on this, um, you know, with, with, with growing things understands that the life of the soil really determines the life in the plant. And so what we've got is we've got commodity crop acres that are being, you know, that are, that are growing these commodity crops and they're heavily fertilized with nitrogen-based fertilizers and other support chemicals because the soil has become so sterilized. So one of the first you know, first things that we have to do is we have to reestablish that, that, that microbial life in the soil, the worms and the funguses and all the beneficial, um, beneficial microbes that are in the soil that help that plant stay healthy and, and grow strong and be beneficial to the consumer. And um, the transition document actually addresses a lot of this. So we're, you know, and there's other documents too. The Rodale Institute did a 30-year study. The Leopold Institute has done many, many studies that we've referred to. So there's work that's been done over the last several decades that um, can guide and direct us. And one of the things that we are looking at is how, what do we do with crops coming out of this out of these acres in the meantime. And what's been interesting is, is as we put this out into the public space, we have um, businesses that are very, very willing to work with us to support what we're doing to buy these crops, whether it's alfalfa or dent corn or whatever during the transition process until we can get those soils cleaned up. Okay. That's, that's very exciting. It's great that you're not out there, you know, blazing your own trail, that it's, that it's been, it's already been done and that you're not the first community that would take your, the, uh, the work involved in that level of change to a whole new order of magnitude. Um, well, I'm going to also ask you now next week on Thursday the 8th, I know that's a big day and a big meeting. Would you like to talk a little bit about that and what type of support you would like from the community? Scott, you want to you want to talk to that? Oh, you're doing fine. Good, keep keep oh. at it. <laughs> uh, so when you're when on he, a roll, you're on a roll. I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. That's right. He knows me well. You guys um, are a great tag team. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah, tag team is a, that. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Scott actually is. Um, he is a brilliant, brilliant mind, and um, as far as knowing about GMOs, he, I don't know anybody that has more information in his head than Scott does, so we really just rely on Just getting it out him. sometimes, it's the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I have a spoon. <laughs> I know. I know. Actually, I don't think it's getting it out. It's, it's actually getting it received that becomes the challenge most days. 
we have, um, you know, the work that we've done over this last year, the work of, of not only two of us, but everybody in the GM No group has really I mean, been there, public There's education. literally, you know, we've got a, a membership and, you know, numbering in the hundreds and a couple hundred people who are active and involved all the time and then pe- others who have just shown up, um, you know, cons- other concerned citizens, activated citizens who are, are deeply concerned about genetically modified food in our food supply, but in particular, here is this, I think, a unique opportunity in the United States where, you, where we have a, uh, a county and a, a municipality that owns you know, a considerable number of agricultural acres, public land, that has been not stewarded in the, in the best interests of the public or in the best interest of of the environment or in the best interest of our health. And so we have a unique opportunity here to weigh in. And I think that's also been kind of exciting for this this sort of uh, active, bolder uh, community. There's a lot of you know bright, uh, kind of avant-garde, free-thinking types. And to see this is like, wow, we can actually get involved with this and, and boot genetically modified crops off of this land. This you know, this is significant. This is of national import. This is actually of international import. That's that a community is taking it upon themselves to say, we don't want this stuff. Get it out of here. And here's, and you know, we're not just making those demands. But we're providing a framework, a policy, and have people who have experience and expertise that we can move this through. So nobody's getting going to get, you know harmed we're you know taking into account the farmers and 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 providing means of support for them yeah it's going to change but it has to change and this is you know this is for the benefit of you know the majority of the people out here not just a handful so it's it's quite uh, at the at the bleeding edge of what the communities can do we accept that it's not going to be easy but we're we're here to have the conversation and we want to see this happen, and we're committed to making that so. So, uh, back back to you, Mary. Yeah. So, um, the will is really here, and I think that that's the most remarkable thing about this community is that, um, you know, this could have happened anywhere in the United States. It just happened to happen here, and we had a couple of unique qualifiers. Number one is we had these public lands to work with, and we're very, very grateful for that. Um, we understand why they were stewarded and why they were managed the way they were for so many years, but we now want something different to be done with them. And we just happen to have this conscientious public here in Boulder that really values nature and and clean earth and clean water and clean air and good food. And um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like this, uh, they, they taken through the dart on the map and it just landed in Boulder, Colorado. And we've taken it up and we've decided that we're committed to this. And, and uh, to that end, we've, like Scott said, seen people come out of the woodwork. One of the most amazing things about this is that because everybody eats and because this land belongs to everybody, by actually having a focus of using these acres for, to develop a local food shed, everybody's gotten involved. And it's cross-religion, cross-political party, cross-age group. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's been this wonderful, unifying exercise for this community. And I think that that's one of the best things that's come out of all of this. So on Wednesday, or next Thursday, I mean, on the 8th, Uh, What we're doing right now is we're just getting the word out and we're letting people know two things. Number one, because this is a county issue and because of our county government structure, we don't get a vote on this. 
the county commissioners will decide on the policy. Your vote as an individual citizen is to get online and to endorse that citizen's cropland policy. That's your vote. And the second thing is, is your voice is showing up at that meeting on the 8th and, and signing up for your three-minute slot and getting up at the microphone and telling your commissioners what you want to see happen. So we're really trying to rally the, you know, rally the troops at this point towards those two objectives. Endorse the policy, show up at the meeting and speak. Or if you don't want to speak, show up at the meeting and support those that do. And what we're hoping is that we'll get the same kind of outcome that we got three weeks ago at the November 15th meeting when we did this same process with those two advisory groups. The public comment was taken into consideration and that's why they adopted language from the citizens cropland policy instead of just wholeheartedly accepting the parks and open space policy that had been put forth. Well that sounds very exciting um, and I do want to just recap um, where you said you want people to both endorse the policy and also show up and speak. Are the ones who are able to speak, must they be exclusively Boulder County residents or is this meeting <laughs> open to everyone? Well, well, the meeting is supposedly open to everyone. But <laughs> we actually had our meeting on Tuesday night. We had a GM no meeting on Tuesday night. What we decided is that this is because this is a county issue, because this is about a, a, a county asset that belongs to the people of the county, that we are going to demand and insist that those that stand outside the county do not have a voice. On the meeting on the 15th, we had representatives from Monsanto and from the biotech industry get up at the mic and, and you know, give their three minutes. And we just decided that we're not going to tolerate that. They have absolutely no place at this table. This is, they did not buy these lands. No, these lands don't belong to them. And, and they're not stakeholders. Just, they're not stakeholders, and we're just not going to tolerate them being there. Well, they're they stakeholders. Yeah. They're stakeholders in terms of wanting to sell their genetically modified seed and chemicals. But again, as, as sovereigns of this community, we, you know, this is our issue to determine. This is our issue to decide. Um, outsiders stay outside. Okay. You know, and I think that's the approach that we want to take here is that please do not weigh in or try to influence this. This is a public, this is a matter of citizens and our governance. And apparently there, you know, I've gotten word that there have been a number of efforts to lobby, to uh, sway our uh, commissioners through correspondence and, and other things by the biotech, the GMO companies and whatnot. And, you know, and I suppose that's in the, in a, Free, free society, those kind of things are to be uh, expected. However, that isn't to say that they should be taking them seriously over the will of the people. Well said. And we'll talk, yeah. we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But right now we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Would like to recognize all of our sponsors. And you're listening to Food Integrity Network. Excuse me, Food Integrity Now. And we will be right back. My name is Jennifer, and I'm a health fanatic. I admit it. I read all the labels, eat organic food, and I'm very aware of what I put into my body. 
I practice holistic health, use alternative healing products, and never miss my daily dose of Willard Water. Willard Water is made with fossilized organics and contains nearly two dozen trace minerals that are essential to maintaining strong bones, heart health, and good energy. Simply adding a quarter capful of Willard Water to my tea makes a tremendous impact on my overall well-being. Willard Water is tasteless and odorless. Dr. Willard's patented catalyst helps our bodies better absorb the minerals and nutrients we need to maintain optimal health. If you care about your health, you'll try Willard Water today. To learn more about the benefits of Willard Water, call us at 888-379-4552 or visit our website at drwillard.com. That's drwillard.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and Willard Water is not intended to treat, diagnose, cure, or prevent any diseases. Hi, I'm Carol Gravey, and I'm one of the hosts of Food Integrity Now. And I've just teamed up with Sharon Farrell of Rocky Mountain Sacred Journeys. And we'd like you to come join us on an amazing adventure of fun and self-discovery. Please join us for one of our ongoing trips to Hawaii to swim with the dolphins in the wild. To find out more about our ongoing trips, please go to Wild dolphin swim adventures.com or call us at Welcome back to Food Integrity Now. This is Jeannie Smith, and we're talking with Scott and Mary Smith of Boulder, who are deeply involved in the GM No project. And where we left off, we were talking about, uh, as a matter of fact, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, is um, how, or how many lobbyists from the big biotech companies and from Monsanto, uh, have they? What, what level of presence uh, have they shown and um, it sounded like where we left off you were saying that you had put in the request that the only people allowed to speak at this very important meeting next Thursday December the 8th uh, that you've put in the request that they be Boulder County residents exclusively and was that request approved? Actually we have not put in a formal request we are preparing a statement that um, we'll have a volunteer who um, is was willing to come very early for the sign-up process to actually read at the very beginning of the public comment period and basically say that um, you know that we demand that this be a dialogue between only the citizens of the county and our commissioners what we're really talking about here is we're talking about democracy and one of the problems that we're confronted with in this country right now is that we no longer have a representative republic that is that is truly a representation of the, the democratic process that we once enjoyed. What we have instead is we have a representative republic where those that are represented are those with the most power and with the most money, and the individual citizens are left out of the dialogue. So that's what we're doing very differently here. That's one of the reasons that we created that citizens' cropland policy, because even through the process of creating the parks and open space management policy, our input was not considered. So we have just said enough of that. We're not going to have that any longer. We are the sovereign lords of this land, 
and we will be heard. Okay, so at the beginning of this meeting, someone will stand up at their, and, and voice this position of saying that you demand that only people, the citizenry of Boulder County be heard, but there's, unless the commissioners present immediately agree to that, there's no way to enforce it. Is that correct? That's correct, but you know, we, we're anticipating hundreds of people, and we just plan to um, boo them down the way that it, it's, it's done by the Occupy people, so okay. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to exercise a little civil disobedience of our own. Uh, you know, enough is enough, and, and if you're not going to take a stand, one of the problems that, that, that we're witnessed is that, you know, in order to be seen as good citizens, we have to abide by the public process. But when the public process leaves you out, then you have a right, we all have a right and a responsibility to reinsert ourselves into that process. And really, that's what we're looking at here. A point of order. Point of order. Very good. I, yes. I agree. I agree. And it's interesting you brought up the Occupy movement because there are some similarities where you would dovetail into what their, you know, the established um image of that is where they're saying we're we are the grassroots we are the citizens and this is still a government of the people by the people and yo up there in government we're the people and you're right. not listening to us so exactly yes so i, exactly. I coined a coined the expression occupy open space and i and i think it's an appropriate metaphor Again, as I, as I referred to before that uh, you know there's a, a very small percentage of uh, individuals, business people who happen to be farmers, who are using these public resources for their own private um, you know, private profit. We, on the other hand, being the public who who have bought and paid for this land, we get the we are we're saddled with the environmental and health risks associated with this, the genetically modified crops and the chemical con, uh, chemical inputs and so forth. So our kind of the idea of occupy open space. This is not just a literal interpretation, but we want the, this idea to become clear in people's minds. This is a public asset. This is, you know, 16,000 acres of irrigated cropland, 7,000 acres of rangeland. We, we haven't thought of this as a community asset, but if we start to look at it in that regard, it's like, what can we do with this? Currently, Boulder County imports about $950 million of food in a year. Less than 2% of that actually comes from Boulder County. So if we could look at this 25,000 acres and, and repurpose it to produce producing you know, chicken or cat milk or you know, some kind of other uh, products, say even on, on the basis of, uh, you know, taking a portion of this $950 million that's leaving the community, and we say create enough businesses where $100 million is created and coming from, the, from this county. What does that mean in terms of jobs, in terms of economic development, in terms of food stability? It's huge. It's, it's absolutely huge. So, and what does that represent? Just a little bit more than a 10% shift. But when you start thinking about you know, that these prop, this, this public land in terms of what its potential represents in terms of, uh, of food, of economic development, of jobs, I don't see how any, anybody, commissioner, citizen or otherwise, can't stand back and go, wow. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we can, we're talking about here. 
And I say, yes, it is. But it requires a, a change of thinking. It requires a change of how we do things. But it has to happen. We can't continue down this path that, we, that we're on right now of planting these, these crazy GMOs, which, I will add, have never been test, long-term tested for human and animal health safety. They have never been done. It's never been done. These, these, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that these things have been loosed upon the public these last 15 years. And, um, the only you know, studies that have been done are by the biotech companies themselves. That yeah, and, is and, correct. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, a, and an interesting point on this, because a lot of people aren't aware of this. Um, there was a, a Supreme Court decision uh, three decades ago now, and that allowed the, um, the, the um, patenting of a life form. And this kind of threw open the doors. What we have now is we have these companies creating these genetically modified organisms. They're cross-species mutations. They're taking genetic code from things like viruses and bacteria, and they're splicing it in to the genetic code of corn and sugar beets and alfalfa and soy, and they're patenting this. Well, the problem with that is that our U.S. patent law protects the patent holder. In other words, the patent holder gets to determine what happens with the patent. And not only that, with what's patented. So it's given undue control to these biotech companies over testing. And our regulatory agencies, our USDA, EPA, and FDA, have not required independent testing be done on these products. So what we have is we have the proverbial fox in the hen house. We have the testing that they require being provided by the very companies that, are, that have these patented and that are benefiting financially from the sale of these things. I understand and agree with you. We just did a show with Jim Garrettson, president of Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association, who are suing currently suing Monsanto along with about 270 other plaintiffs for just that reason. Mm -hmm. Good. Because <laughs> it needs to be done. Yeah, one of my motivations for, for starting GMNO is I, I think that there's an inherent immoral immorality associated with the GMOs I find it to be <laughs> it's it's appalling it, it I really feel sickened in my stomach to this by this notion that uh, somebody can plant uh, a GMO seed and their na next door neighbor with without doing anything is subject to being imposed upon by this uh, genetic trespass or the chemical trespass and you can't defend against it. You, how do you defend against pollen? Well, there's this this sort of uh, idea that goes along with GMOs is that you create a buffer zone. You limit uh, no planting in an area of 150 feet between the GMO field and an adjoining field. Please, please explain to me how pollen, the wind, or nature can respect a, an artificial man-made boundary and not go beyond it. It's like, does the pollen say, oh, I just hit 150 yards, I'm going to fall into the ground right now and, uh, and not contaminate my neighbor's property. It's ludicrous. Well, Monsanto has certainly covered all their bases in that area. They, they thought that yes. through quite thoroughly. Oh, it, it's, it's amazing. And, there, and there's uh, legal precedents that have been established, and they call it uh, uh, propitious uh, 
advantage. Or, I mean, there's a whole language around the, this contamination and so forth. Here in Boulder County, they've adopted the, this notion of good neighbor policy, which which that means is you know the, it's kind of an Orwellian concept uh, where one farmer calls up the other and says, "I'm going to be spraying pesticide X." Uh, tomorrow, so just so you have a warning. So, and one of our friends who's an organic farmer says, "Yeah, well, for us that means we gather our children and leave, because the the drift, the smell of these chemicals, will in fact uh, pervade uh, onto their property, into the air, and you have no choice." So it's, it's been we've institutionalized being uh, bombarded with. <laughs> With chemical contaminants, nerve toxins, uh, effectively, and and that's okay. You're just, to be a good neighbor. You just have to turn the other cheek, accept it because that's what people do. And, and that, to me, is immoral and appalling. How we have come to socialize these kind of things, just to do what? To 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 make money? To to grow commodity crops? We have this seriously needs to be rethought because. Uh, you know, when Mary talked before about the, the, the soil, you know, the, in high school, the, we were taught science in two different forms. There was chemistry and there were bi there's biology. I think a lot of the, the soil practices today only examine the chemical side of things, the NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And, believe, you know, like everything, there's, there's a complexity, there's a fabric, there's, there's all these multidimensional elements, and especially so with, with soil. You know the microbes, the microorganisms, the the, the 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 fungi. It's 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 incredibly complicated, and I, I for for one find it to be very very frustrating that everybody just breaks this down into you know chemistry or biology when I think it's far more complex. You can't get in and tinker around with the DNA of of an organism and call it substantially equivalent, which is the basis of what GMOs are, and then patent this this genetic trait and say oh we own that it, it's upside down backwards when you when you consider we as a, as a human race and who co-evolved with our environment and our food system if, if, over many 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 generations over many thousands of years and here you have a, a company who's changing the form of life for money introducing this into our food supply you know 15 years ago and then not expect that something uh, doesn't occur. I mean, they introduced an evolutionary response, this unique protein that now is being fed to children, the babies, adults, and so forth, but especially for the younger kids whose, whose systems are, are forming, whose organs, whose neurological systems and processes need these nutrients to form. You know, you've got to ask yourself, what is this doing to people? And, you, and you, some of the the, the corollary information that one might see in terms of incidence of uh, ADHD, asthma, diabetes, uh, autism, I mean, that is literally going off the chart. Yes. What's changed? What's happened? And you know, we don't have a, a food labeling system here in the U.S. where people can discern what they eat and what they don't. To me, it's a big concern and all the reason that motivates me to do what we're doing and get the word out and make people, at least give people the choice to say, yeah, I don't see a problem, I'll eat that stuff, or no, keep it away from me, I want other choices. 
I completely agree with you, and I would add to that list the absolute epidemic level of certain autoimmune diseases, of diabetes, etc. They, they are not sure where a lot of that is coming from, and it absolutely warrants a much closer look. In the few moments that we have remaining, I do want to recap for everyone that next Thursday, December the 8th, is the county commissioners meeting and they're asking you each and every one uh, especially the boulder uh boulder county citizenry to vote by endorsing the policy and to show up at the meeting and would you give information about where the location and timing of the meeting is please yeah i can do that so um the meeting starts at six o'clock for those people that would like to sign up to speak we're asking them to show up early um, there's going to be quite a few, and uh, we just encourage you to show up at 5.30 to get in line to sign up. It is at 1650, or 1850, excuse me, Industrial Boulevard in Longmont. Uh, Industrial uh, Long Circle. Yeah, Longmont, yes, thank you, Longmont Conference Center. And uh, again, December 8th at 6 o'clock. You can get information about the meeting um, on our website. It's www.gmknow.org. There's also links on that website that will take you to the cropland policy, the citizens' cropland policy webpage, where you can read and endorse the citizens' cropland policy. Great. Well, thank you both, both Scott and Mary Smith of Boulder, for all of this valuable information and for all of the hard work and personal sacrifice you've put into this. No sacrifices. This is fun. Well, yeah. good. I'm glad you think that because I truly believe that Boulder County is setting a precedent by which other counties can use that as a role model. And I, the goal is certainly within reach, so I, I personally thank you for not only being here, but all the work that you're doing. You've been listening to Food Integrity Now, and again, we're on the website at foodintegritynow.org. Thank you very much.